Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. All right, we're here to listen tonight to a story, and everybody here, I believe, is familiar with this story. It's the Christmas story. It's the story of shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, the angel appearing to the shepherds. It's a, it's a story of Mary and Joseph who traveled uh, to try to find a place to stay, but there was no room in the inn, and, and they had to have their, the baby in the stable and the manger. And it's the story of the wise men who traveled uh, years and years to come, uh, miles and miles, hundreds of miles to come, and to worship this baby king with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, it, and so we've all heard the story, uh, but, you know, it, it's more than just a nativity scene story. Sometimes it, a story can be so ancient and so distant from us or maybe even so familiar that it loses some of its punch. But I want you just to take just a moment in this service, just in the midst of all the busyness, to behold the, the majesty and the mystery of this story of God becoming flesh, of God taking on human flesh in the form of Jesus, and the mystery that that is, the mystery of the incarnation. You see, even though it's a story of, of Christmas, it's also, I looked at it this week as I was meditating on this, thinking about this, and it was a story really of just a bunch of people waiting. It was the shepherds waiting out in the field. And then all of a sudden an angel appeared. It was Joseph and Mary when they heard the, the angel speak to them. There was nine months of just waiting until the baby was born. It was the wise men that even though they were following after a star, there was so much waiting after all the time that would pass. And so how many of you guys would just agree that waiting is no fun, right? I mean, nobody here likes to wait. We're all like praying and asking God for patience, but God, give me patience now. How many of you guys have ever done that before? Give me patience, but I want patience right now. Because we don't like to wait. Waiting is not fun. But there's this word that I'm sure many of you guys have heard before. It's this word called Advent. And Advent is a season in the Christian calendar that for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, Christians throughout all the earth have celebrated or have, have observed this thing called Advent. This thing that it, it's a season of preparation in our heart. Uh, it, Advent literally means coming or arrival. And so there was a, an Advent season being observed in this Christmas story as people were longing and waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And here we too, we also observe Advent and we're in between the first Advent and the second Advent. And so we also are longing for the second coming of Christ. And so even though Advent is a season of waiting, do you realize that Advent can actually be worshipped? So that means waiting is actually worship. Now, none of us really think of waiting as worship because waiting is not really fun. But as you observe and you wait and you long for something, it actually becomes a form of worship. I, I remember uh, when I was a kid, and some of you kids in the room tonight, maybe you're anticipating uh, going to open presents maybe later on or in the morning or something. And, and when I was a kid, I remember uh, just that weight and just, just that excitement that you just couldn't take it anymore. And so we would pull this trick on my mom. We'd say, Mom, the, the, the presents underneath the tree, they're disorganized. We've got to organize them. we pull them out one by one and try to figure out what our presents were as we were passing them around, hoping for some rip in the paper, accidental rip, uh, 
Uh, maybe the tape came off, un, uh, you know, accidentally so we could see what was inside, and we would put them all back in there. Why? Because waiting is hard. Waiting is hard to do. I remember uh, at my grandma's house, every Christmas Eve, we would go to my grandma's house, and, and we had this rule, and my, my grandma had this rule that we had to eat first before we could open presents. How many of you guys have had that rule maybe at those? Yeah, you've got to eat first then open presents. The problem was my grandpa was the world's slowest eater. I mean, he was literally the world's slowest eater. And so we would do all sorts of things to try to pass the time. We'd have eating competitions. We'd tell the same jokes over and over again every year trying to pass the time. And it was just the weight that was agony. And ultimately, my grandpa would still be eating slow bite after bite after all of that. And, and the night would crescendo into this chant of grandpa, grandpa, grandpa. We're just like trying to will him to finish his last bite so we could open presents because waiting is so hard. But Advent is waiting and waiting is worship. If there's anybody in the Christmas story that, that knew about waiting, it would be this guy named Zechariah. Now we don't really think of Zechariah as a guy in the Christmas story, but he was very much a part of the Christmas story. Him and his wife Elizabeth, uh, they played a big role and their son would, would be John the Baptist who would prepare the way for Jesus. And Zechariah and Elizabeth knew something about waiting. Their story goes like this in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah in the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And, there, and they both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And so they had, from their youth, as they got married as a young couple, they wanted to have children, but they couldn't have children. They were barren, and time passed, and time passed, and pretty soon they were too old even to have children. And you just, if you've ever been through that, or if you ever know somebody like that, just the agony of the wait is sometimes unbearable. And so they were going through that, and they were now too old to even have children. It says, now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And so he was a guy who had a role. He was a priest, and, and the, the dice rolled, and it fell to his, to his people, to his division, to him to go in and light the holy incense to prepare the way for the high priest that would come after him. All of this was in anticipation of Advent or anticipation of the coming of Messiah. It all had all these symbolisms to it as well. And so Zechariah, was, uh, he went in there and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So priests had gone in time and time again and no encounters with God. In fact, God had been silent for some time. And then all of a sudden there's this angel that appears before him, right? On the, by the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them, them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So that would have to be a pretty big encounter. And I can tell you, I can read about it, uh, but it'd probably be better if I tried to show you a little bit more as to what that was like. And this is probably a little bit more what that was like. Let's watch.
Have you ever been quiet for a long time? Not opening your mouth. Not saying a word. I'm talking complete silence. God was for over 400 years. The mutinous from the creator of the universe. The one who said that Earth is but a footstool to him was about to break his silence. begins, the ritual becomes radiant, and the faithful become fathers. When God speaks, the heavens rise and the earth bows. Hope grows where hurt was rooted. Time becomes eternity, and he leads us to holy ground that was once hollowed. Yes, my friends, God is just getting started. Yeah, that was probably more what it was like. We scared children in the first service, too. Um, 
But uh, yeah, this amazing encounter with God, or with the angel, Gabriel, and, and the fact of the matter, why, why was it significant that they were saying that he would come in the spirit of Elijah and turn the hearts of the, the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers? See, if you go into your, your Bible and you go to the very last book in the Old Testament, you go to the very last chapter of the last book in the Old Testament, you go to the very last sentence or the last verse of the last book of the Old Testament, well, will you find? You will find that very thing talked about, how there will be a one who will come in the spirit of Elijah, who will prepare the way, who will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, and the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And then you flip over the page. What? There's a blank page. How many of you guys have a blank page in your Bible that separates Malachi from Matthew, and then all of these things start to unfold. Now, the, that blank page, though, here's what you got to understand about that blank page. That blank page was not just like a day in history that separated old and new. It wasn't like a week or even a year in history. There were, that blank page represents 400 years of God being silent. 400 years of, of the priests going in and lighting incense like that and not hearing God's voice. Year after year, 400 years. And I'm sure if they were first starting out in that period of time, they were anticipating maybe the, the, maybe the Messiah is coming today. Maybe today is the day as they went in and they lit the incense. And then maybe after weeks went by, maybe they thought, well, maybe it's going to happen someday. And then pretty soon, I imagine after years and decades and centuries went by, Pretty soon, maybe what used to be alive and the waiting used to be full of anticipation, all of a sudden just, just drained down to a ritual. And I, I wonder if, if you know, Zechariah went in there just not really expecting anything, just going through the motions. And sometimes, how many you guys know that we can do that in our life sometimes? Most of Zechariah's life was lived on the blank page. We only catch up with him in the New Testament as he's old, but most of him was lived in the silence. And most of, do you realize that our lives too, we are in one sense living in the blank page between two things. We are living in between the first advent or the first coming of Christ. And we're living in between that and the second coming of Christ. And so we're a lot like Zechariah tonight where we're in the in-between. And as we're in the in-between, we have something to do. We are waiting for the advent or the coming of our Lord. Now, here's what we've got to understand about that. In the wait, we have a job, and that job is to worship during the wait. See, Advent is worship. Waiting is actually worship. And how do you determine if you're actually worshiping during the wait? And it matters what you're beholding during the wait. That determines what your worship is, what you behold during the wait. See, in Luke chapter 2, as the shepherds were out in the field, it says, Now they were there in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold. That word behold is very significant. See, what we, what we behold is ultimately what we become. If I want you to get anything tonight, as you walk away from this, just contemplating Christmas, contemplate this, what you behold is what you become. And the angel said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. As they beheld the, the good tidings and the good news, they became transformed into that later on as they encountered the King of Kings in the form of a baby. John chapter 1, verse 14 is a very, very rich uh, chapter of the Bible, very, very rich scripture, and it says this, 
And the word, that is Jesus, became flesh. That's the incarnation or in the flesh. He dwelt among us. And we, here it is again, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what I want you to catch tonight. The more we behold the glory of God, the more we behold the glory of what Christmas is really all about, the more we become like Christ. The more we behold the Prince of Peace, the more peace you will have in your life. The more you behold the King of Kings, the more you step into his reign and rule in your life because what you behold is ultimately what you become. And so that's my question for you tonight. In the midst of all the busyness and all the shopping and all the family get-togethers, this Christmas season, what are you beholding? You see, because you can behold fear and you'll become fearful. You can behold worry and you'll become worrisome. You can behold regret and you'll become regretful. But if we behold the Savior, then we'll experience salvation. If we behold His glory, the only glory as of the only begotten of the Father, then we'll step into the glory of what He has for us. Let me close up with this story. Uh, several years ago, uh, in the, the, there's a museum over in Amsterdam that ha- houses some of the most famous artists and great masterpieces uh, of paintings and sculptures and all sorts of things over in Amsterdam. And, and several years ago, uh, some really disturbed person went in and they snuck past security. They had a knife in their hand and they went straight towards this uh, priceless Rembrandt painting uh, called The Night Watch. And he went and he snuck past all of them. And before anybody could stop him, he started to slice up this priceless, one-of-a-kind piece of art before anybody could stop him. Finally, he was tackled and they drug him out, but not before he totally disfigured this painting. There was also another story at another place in Europe in St. Peter's Cathedral. Uh, Again, another disturbed person came through and ran through with a hammer, and they went to this famous Michelangelo statue that had been carved out of, this huge statue, the sculpture that had been carved out of one piece of rock, and he went before anybody could stop, and he took the hammer, and he began to to hammer off chunks of this one-of-kind art, one-of-the-kind masterpiece before anybody could stop him, and pieces began to come off. And, And finally, he was tackled and taken out but not before he totally disfigured this priceless work of art. And people sat there in awe just, just thinking, There's, now you can't undo this. This is broken forever. This, this is just ruined, this one-of-a-kind priceless piece. And so the curators of the museum and of the, the cathedral had a choice to make, and they actually called people in to hear what their options were now. And they had three options. One option was they could leave them on display just like they were. They could leave them in their brokenness and in their their cut up and disfiguredness. And they could leave them that way and they could just let that tell the story about the brutality of what had happened. And that that story would be forever attached to that moment and to that piece. Another option that they could do is they could throw those pieces away and just say these pieces are no longer beautiful. They're no longer pieces of art. They're no longer masterpieces. They have been disfigured beyond the point of being worthy of being held as a masterpiece and they could throw them away. A third option is they could bring in expert craftsmen, expert masters uh, of of painting and and sculpture, and they could try to repair and restore these priceless works of art back to their original glory. And that's exactly what they did. And these people painstakingly, stroke by stroke and, and, and piece by piece, put these pieces back together so much so that if you were to go and you were to look at this painting today or you were to look at this sculpture, you couldn't really even tell. You, you wouldn't be able to tell where the brokenness actually existed. 
In fact, if you were to bring the experts there, they could tell you and they could maybe show you, but only because they knew the story behind it. And here's what I want you to know tonight, that maybe you're in this place tonight and you have some broken things in your life, maybe things that need to be restored, maybe a broken relationship or just a brokenness on the inside of you. Here's what I know. Every single person here uh, as a human have experienced that brokenness. Because God is the ultimate master. God is the ultimate craftsman. And in the Garden of Eden, he created something. He created humanity in his own image, the Bible says. He created a masterful work of art. But sin came in with that hammer and began to chip away at the image of God, at this beautiful, priceless masterpiece. And so that it was so disfigured that there was nothing. What do you do with this? And God also had a choice. What do I do? Do I throw this away? Do I start over? Do I leave it in its brokenness? And I'm telling you, the story of Christmas is that Jesus came as the master craftsman to put the picture back together. He came to restore it back to its original glory. And so no matter where you're at tonight, no matter what your situation is, I just want you to understand that if you would behold the master craftsman, He can, as you behold the master craftsman and the restorer, he can be the restorer of your soul. And he can put those pieces back together again. It was uh, Zachariah's son, John, John the Baptist, who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as Jesus came to be baptized. And so tonight, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pause in the midst of everything else. And we're going to behold the Lamb of God. We're going to receive communion we're going to receive the, the juice, the cup that represents the blood of Jesus. We're going to receive the cracker that represents the body that was broken for us. And we're going to have a video that plays and a song that plays. And during this song and during this video, at some point, as you take these elements back to your seat, have a moment there where you receive communion. And you take communion there, right there at your seat, at some point during the song and during this, this video. And we're going to pray before we do that, and then we're going to come and receive and just have a moment where we behold the Lamb of God. Lord, we thank you so much for your priceless gift to us, the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are the master craftsman, and that if there's anybody here tonight who has broken pieces, that maybe they have not had their relationship restored back to you, that even tonight they would make a decision to say yes to you, that they would come back to the Father's house, or that they would surrender their life, even in this moment. And Lord, as we come and we approach the table, we're remembering the blood that you spilled on the cross, and the the body that was broken for our sins, so that we could be restored back to relationship with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand up and come and receive?
Amen. So powerful to think about the grace of God. You know, we beheld his glory, the only, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you look earlier in that chapter, you see Jesus being talked about as light. In John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Every time in the early church creeds it talked about Jesus, it talked about Jesus as light. And that made its way into our Christmas carols. It made its way to our Christmas lights on our trees, the little candles on our tree. And so as we leave this place, we're going to behold Jesus as the light of the world. And we're going to do that, and we're going to light these candles, and, and we're going to let this symbolize what it's like for the light of Jesus to come and to be passed from heart to heart and all over the world. Amen. Let's do this as we sing.
remember as you leave, we become what we behold. And so I just challenge you to behold the glory of God this Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we will be having our New Year's Day celebration, 10 o'clock, 1130, and starting off with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We'll see you then. You guys are dismissed. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.